she's never not knitting, and it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. She just won't stop the stitching, and the neighbors say it really is quite sad. Hi, this is Alana, and you're listening to the Never Not Knitting podcast. Welcome, this is episode six. I apologize in advance for my voice sounding a little strange. Um, I've been sick, so instead of making the podcast come out later, I just decided to go ahead and record and hopefully you can put up with the nasally sounding voice. Thank you to everyone who has gotten contact with me since last show. It's so great to hear from all of you and I really appreciate every comment and every message that you send. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. First things first, we have a drawing winner for episode 5. Everyone who went to my blog and left comments on the show notes for episode 5 got entered to win the new Debbie Bliss magazine in a drawing. I, as usual, entered all the comments in the random number generator online, and the winner of the drawing was Bean. Congratulations! I hope you like the magazine. It has been a really popular magazine. The shop I work at ordered several, several copies, and they are all gone. When the owner went to order more, she contacted the distributor, and they don't have any either. So it sounds like this magazine is going to be harder and harder to find. I'm really, really glad that I got a copy when they were in stock. So now, why don't I just go ahead and tell you about what I've been knitting, 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 knitting. Well, last episode I mentioned that I was being a very irresponsible knitter. I was doing far much more casting on than I was casting off. But this week, I made up for it. I kicked it into high gear, and I got a bunch of knitting done. In fact, I finished two projects. I finished my cap-sleeved eyelet top that I was working on last time, and that turned out great. In fact, there's nothing about it that I don't like. You know how a lot of the time when you finish a knitting project, you like it, but you wish, oh, I wish I would have done that collar differently, or it's an okay yarn, but if I had only used that yarn. But for this project, I am just happy all around. Everything about it worked out really well, and it fits great, which is hard to do, it seems. I seem to always choose the wrong size. I'm always in between sizes, and I never know, should I make it a little tighter or a little bit bigger? Actually, the last about three projects, or four garment projects now, have turned out okay on the sizing, but before then I wasn't doing so great. I had made the tilted duster in the past, and the top is too big, and so I compensated for that by making the skirt part of the sweater smaller, so that's a little funny looking. It's a little puckery on the top which I don't like. And then I made that crocheted leaves sweater, and I definitely chose the wrong size on that one. It is really big, and I tried to wear it again the other night, and it is just not flattering. It looks really boxy and not so great on me. 
it actually does have shaping the pattern, but because I chose such so large of a size, it looks like there's no shaping at all. It just hangs. And I constantly had to keep pulling it up because it was getting to be really low cut with wear. So that wasn't really fun. I ended up actually giving that sweater to my mom this week and hopefully it'll fit her better. Then I made a sweater also, well, most of a sweater that was way too small and I had to rip out the whole thing. That was the Clara Loon sweater out of Noro Silk Garden. That was tragic. So after all of these bad fitting sweaters, it's been nice to have some projects that fit. And the cap sleeved top is no exception. It fits very well and I'm gonna get a lot of use out of it. In fact, I didn't even have to adjust it while wearing it. It fits so well, and maybe you understand what I mean. When you're wearing something hand-knit, if you're wearing a hand-knit sweater, I all of a sudden become extremely self-conscious. Like everyone's looking at my sweater, when nobody probably even notices in the public that it's a hand-knit sweater, but if it's any other piece of store-bought clothing, I don't seem to pay attention, but if it's a hand-knit garment that I'm wearing, I feel like it has to look perfect at all times, so I'm constantly readjusting and making sure that things are lining up appropriately and that nothing's getting crumply or whatnot, so it was really nice with the cap sleeve top that I made because it just fit so nicely that nothing had to be keep being adjusted, so that was nice. I also went ahead and finished my lace-tipped striped scarf that I was working on last episode, and that turned out really nicely as well. The pattern calls for two skeins of Rowan Kid Silk Haze striped with another DK weight yarn. I believe the pattern calls for a fiber company yarn. But I used a yarn that we have at the shop. It's by the company Sublime, and it's their Cashmere Merino Silk in the DK weight and that worked up very nicely. In fact, I just used two skeins of the Sublime yarn and I got away with using only one ball of the Rowan Kid Silk Haze and it is plenty long. One thing that really surprised me about this scarf is how much it blocked out. The two yarns that I chose blocked out extremely well and it produced a really nice texture when blocked. It drapes really nicely, and when you block it, you can really see that lace pattern pop out, which was nice. I'm really happy with the scarf. In the beginning, I kept second-guessing the colors I chose and wondered, it, am I going to be able to wear this? But I think it's really cute, and it's going to be one of those perfect scarves to wear in the fall That that is kind of a funky accessory scarf that... I guess doesn't really have to match what I'm wearing. I haven't taken pictures of the finished scarf yet, but hopefully I can convince my husband to help me take some pictures in the next couple of days and get them up really soon on my blog and also over on Ravelry. After I finished those two projects, I decided to be even more responsible and I started knitting my second evening stocking. I just kept thinking, this is ridiculous. I'm just gonna keep casting on more and more projects and I'm never gonna get this second sock done. And the more time that went by, I was just afraid that I was gonna lose interest and not remember what I did on the first sock and really never wanna knit the second. So I just buckled down and last night started on the second stocking 
and I've already gotten the long ribbing done on the cuff and I'm starting on the pattern, the lace pattern on the leg. So my goal for the next two weeks is to finish up that stocking and also to finish up the back of my dad's sweater. Then I can start on a new project. I have to force myself to finish things because if I didn't, then I would just start a hundred projects and never get anything done. I also finished one more thing this week. It's not knitting related, but yarn related. Something very strange happened to me the other night. I found myself at a knitting standstill. I had just finished my cap sleeved eyelet top and one half of my lace tipped striped scarf. I say one half because you're supposed to knit two pieces and then graph them together at the end. So one half was done. I knew that I needed to be good and not cast on for anything else, but I just didn't feel like casting on for the other half of the scarf and doing that lace. And I also didn't feel like casting on for my evening stocking either. Sometimes casting on is the worst part, in my opinion. I almost like the projects better when I'm in the middle and kind of in the rhythm of the pattern. That seems to be the part of the project that I enjoy the most, more than the cast on and the beginning because you're having to fiddle with the pattern because you're not used to it and it seems like the cast on row and the few rows after it are always the hardest. So if I was going to continue with those two projects, I would have had to cast on and I just did not feel like casting on. And my dad's sweater was looking very unappealing. So what was I to do? I had the evening and nothing that I wanted to knit. So I sat down at my spinning wheel. My husband purchased that wheel for me for our fifth anniversary. And in the beginning, I loved it. I was obsessed. I had been wanting to spin for quite a while and when my husband brought home this wheel, I was ecstatic. And it was funny the way he gave it to me because he asked me to go get something in my daughter's room. He said it was hanging on the doorknob of my daughter's room and her door was open. And when I went to go look and see what was hanging on the doorknob, the spinning wheel was behind the door. So that was kind of exciting. So I got out the spinning wheel and my husband just bought me the wheel and he was nice enough to buy me some wool roving, but there was no instructions. And so I had no idea what I was doing, but if you've listened to this podcast, you'll know that that doesn't necessarily matter to me. I'll just dive right in. I don't really have to know what I'm doing to get started. So. I sat down at my new wheel with my wool roving, and let me just tell you, that was interesting. I didn't know anything about drafting, so I just had this big, huge chunk of wool that I was trying to get spun on this spinning wheel. I was producing something that didn't resemble yarn in the least. However, after a few days of practice and some internet videos and a trip back down to the spinning shop. I finally got the hang of it, and I spun and spun and spun. I was imagining never having to buy yarn for a project again. I was going to spin 
the yarn for all future knitting projects. Okay, scratch that idea. I liked spinning so much, I wasn't even going to waste my precious spinning time on knitting. I was just going to produce massive quantities of handspun for the rest of my life. Knitting? What's knitting? I had found a new obsession. Maybe this is what led me to my brilliant idea. I was going to sell this yarn. I loved spinning so much, I was going to create my own yarn line. And I was going to do the pattern support and all of my own dyeing. It was going to be great. With this harebrained idea firmly in place, I hightailed it down to the spinning shop where I purchased my raw materials. White wool. I wanted white so that I could dye it myself, remember? I wanted six pounds, but the shop owner says to me, do you uh, realize how much six pounds is? So I settled on three. I was shocked when I caught sight of the huge bag of wool. It looked like she had stuffed an entire sheep in there. I really didn't have any idea. I had no idea how much wool three pounds worth was. The shop owner probably thought I was insane. Me, a brand new spinner with that humongous bag of white wool? Well, she was right. I got home and immediately went to work, building my hand-spun yarn empire. I spun and spun and spun for weeks on end. No knitting, just spinning. No knitting, not even at work. I actually packed up my wheel and took it to the shop with me. I couldn't be wasting any of my time on anything else. I had a yarn line to create. I spun constantly, breaking off chunk after chunk of white wool roving. I finished and then dyed up about 15 skeins, but my bag of roving still looked untouched. I hadn't even put a dent in the three pounds of wool. It looked just the same as when I had originally purchased it. After a month or two of spinning up white wool, you can guess what happens next. Major spinning burnout. I never wanted to look at white roving again. The idea of spinning up more of that wool made me feel that the boredom could potentially do me in. That spinning wheel sat unused for a long time, and I stuffed the huge bag of white wool in the back of the closet, far, far away. I felt so stupid for buying so much, and white, white! It's like that stupid bag was constantly reminding me of my beginner's mistakes and of that failing yarn line of mine. The white wool did, however, make an appearance later when I introduced a basic spinning class into my class schedule. It's funny because when you're learning to spin, you always end up wasting a lot of fiber in the beginning. And my students are always so apologetic for using up so much of my white roving. But I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> Listen, you're doing me a favor here. Please, uh, take the roving. In fact, here, here's more roving. Would you believe it? After spinning many skeins of yarn, stuffing knitted toys with it, and teaching several classes, I still have a huge bag of white roving. It's like it's procreating in the closet. I just can't seem to get rid of it. Now that I've told you my entire spinning background, this leads me to my current spinning project. 
After the white wool spinning incident, I decided last year to give spinning another try with a different, more exciting fiber. On vacation, I bought a small amount of hand-dyed silk and also a hand-dyed merino tensile blend. I got home and immediately started the merino tensile on the wheel. I worked on it for a little while, but then didn't touch it again until just a few evenings ago. I thought about it, but just couldn't get motivated to get into the spinning again. I don't know why. I was afraid that my early spinning experiences had ruined any interest that I had or could possibly have in the future. But that other night, when I had reached my knitting standstill, I decided to sit down at the wheel again. And this is partly because as I was going through the new issue of Knitty Magazine at Knitty.com, I noticed that there was a really cute pattern for a lacy cowl type scarf called Abby. And it is knit using a skein of single ply hand dyed silk hand spun yarn. And I thought that that pattern would be perfect for the merino tensile blend that I had on my wheel. So I sat down and I finished it. And I finished it rather quickly. And the skein of yarn is not perfect. There's pictures of it on my blog and also under my stash on Ravelry. But it's pretty good for someone who hasn't spun in a really long time. Granted, I have been teaching people here and there, but I haven't really sat down and spun for any length of time in quite a while. Spinning is almost like riding a bike. Once you learn it the first time, you can easily go back to it, even if a long time has passed in between. After it was all spun up on the bobbin, I wound it up into a skein, washed it, and then today at work I wound it up on the skein winder so it's all ready to use. I look forward to casting on for that as soon as I get my next knitting goals accomplished. Now I'd like to tell you all about some of my current knitting fantasies. Have you ever had the experience where you work with a particular yarn in a project and then you can't get it off of your mind and you start thinking, what else can I make with this yarn? Because you like it so much? Well. I just recently had that experience with Rowan Kid Silkades. Remember, I just recently used that in my lace tip striped scarf, and I've used it before, but I had the opportunity to get reacquainted with it in this project. And since then, I keep finding more projects using that yarn on Ravelry, and I'd really like to start one or 12 very soon. If you haven't worked with this yarn yet, it's really quite nice. It's a mohair silk blend, and mohair can be kind of a funny thing for me. I've had some bad experiences with mohair where I feel like I have almost like cold symptoms while I'm working with it, and I get all itchy. And so mohair can, I think I can be kind of allergic to mohair, but I've never had a problem with the Kid Silk Haze. It's very, very soft. And also, it's blended with silk, which makes it really nice. If you look at it closely, it has a really pretty sheen, kind of a shimmer to it from the silk, but then the mohair offers a really pretty halo effect around the silk strand. So it makes it a really nice yarn to work in lace projects 
because that that sheen of the yarn really brings out the pattern. It's very, very pretty. There are so many patterns on Ravelry using this yarn. It seems to be very, very popular, especially for lace projects. But a few of the patterns that I found are lace projects, but not a shawl or a scarf. I found two really pretty sweaters. The first one is called Marianne, and it's a Rowan pattern, and it's a lacy cardigan, and, but it's really pretty and feminine. It has really nice feminine details. It's a three-quarter length sleeve with a very delicate, small lace pattern all throughout it. I came across this pattern when I was looking up the projects for the Never Not Knitting Ravelry group, and I came across Mimosa 2007's version of this Marianne sweater, and hers was gorgeous. I really liked the detail that she put into it. She put a beaded edging along the cuff and also along the cardigan fronts and neckline, I believe, and she did it in this really pretty powder blue, and it's just gorgeous. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It just looks like such a beautiful feminine accessory, something that I would love to wear over a nice dress. Another really beautiful cardigan using Rowan Kid Silkes was designed by Melissa Whirl, and it's called the Granny Smith Cardigan. I believe she calls it the Granny Smith Cardigan because the color that she uses in the pattern is that apple green, kind of like Granny Smith apples, I'm assuming. And that's very similar to the Marianne sweater, but it has a bigger lace pattern and it doesn't have as many feminine details, but it's really, really pretty. That's also a three-quarter length sleeve. I'd really like to make one of these sweaters in the future. I just keep thinking about them. They would just be perfect for a dressy occasion or maybe a springtime sweater when you just want something really light over your shoulders and arms. Also, I came across another Rowan pattern, the Brie gloves. And these are really pretty gloves knit out of the Rowan Kitsil Ks on size two needles, so it's knit tightly. And I was thinking that this would be ideal for gloves because they wouldn't be too bulky. It'd be nice and light, but yet still very warm and the mohair silk blend makes them look kind of dressy as well. They have long ribbing, so if I was to make them, I think I'd almost want to make them elbow length, and then you could dress it up by doing, say, a pico edge and some beading, and that would be really, really pretty. So I definitely have those in mind as well. There's also some beautiful dresses made out of Rowan Kitsil Ks on Ravelry. Of course, a lot of people know about this one already, but the pattern butterfly is either a tank top pattern or you can extend it into a dress, and that is gorgeous. I love it, but I don't know how wearable it is for me. You would have to wear it over something or sew a slip into it or something because it has really tiny straps, and I'm not sure where I would be able to wear that. Hmm, but it is really, really pretty. Aside from my Rowan Kitsil K's obsession, I've also got my eye on some small projects. I seem to do a lot of bigger projects, like sweaters, and some smaller projects are seeming really appealing to me at the moment. There's nothing like instant gratification. 
the small projects that I've had that I have in mind are mainly hats. There's three that I just can't get off my mind. First off, there's the slouchy cabled beret in the new Debbie Bliss magazine that I mentioned last episode. I liked it when I saw it, but then three people at the shop I work at are making it. And so I got to see two in person today and it was so cute. In fact, one of the ladies, Nancy, she let me try hers on. So that was really nice to be able to try on the pattern before you make it. And I actually liked the way it looked. And I'm not really a hat person. I always feel goofy in hats. So it was nice to have a hat that I actually kind of felt comfortable wearing. She used the Debbie Bliss Cashmerino Erin to make that hat in a really, really pretty red color. And I really liked the way that looked. But I might choose something that has maybe a little bit more fuzz or halo to it. The yarn that they used for the pattern is the Debbie Bliss Alpaca Silk in the Erin weight. And that has more of a halo effect. And I really like, I just really like the way that that looks. The other two hats that I really like are made by the same designer, Ysolde Teague. And they are Gretel and also Rose Red. All of these hats are kind of similar. Gretel, Rose Red, and the one I just mentioned are all kind of a slouchy beret style, which seems to be really popular at the moment. Gretel is a really intricate cable. Maybe smaller cables is the way I would describe it. And Rose Red is bigger cabled motifs, but they're more like maybe flower petal shapes. You'd have to see it to understand what I'm talking about. But I have some yarn in mind for the rose red. I recently saw a project come into the store made out of Sublime's Angora Merino yarn, and it was so beautiful. It was fuzzy without being overly fuzzy, and I know that rose red would look really lovely knit up in this yarn. So that's a future project of mine. As for Gretel, I really like the looks of this hat as well, but I'm not sure yet what type of yarn I would use for it. I'll probably end up, you know, using yarn for my stash or something. Yeah, right. Who am I kidding? I don't use yarn for my stash. My stash is not to use. It's there to grow bigger. Well, this episode, I have another knitting story to share. It's not my own, but was sent to me by a listener of this podcast, Hami Mono on Ravelry. This story came all the way from Tokyo, Japan, and I'm so pleased to be able to read it. So now, I'd like to present the story entitled, A Bad Beginning for an Untrained Train Knitter. Okay, yes, I'm a train knitter. In fact, I have, since day one, carried my knitting all around with me. Yes, I'm almost always thinking about the current, or next, project. The architecture of the stitches, the feel of the wool, the play of the colors. Yes, I knit on the train, in meetings at my university, in design meetings for shows I'm directing, and at rehearsals, and with friends. Yes, I knit in Starbucks, 
and in the park on the grass, and lying on my back deck, with long train commutes from my home in Yokohama into my university in Tokyo, the train is also a great place to knit. Did I mention that I always carry my knitting on the train? Well, I do. So, day one. That would have been about three years ago now. Actually, I learned to knit when I was a kid from a great aunt with a hard line on kids with fidgety fingers. After that, life then intervened, as it does. And I didn't knit again until the aforementioned three years ago, when the stress of a family health crisis necessitated some outlet for my worry, mortal fear, and existential angst. I wanted something constructive, creative, connective, comforting. Oh yeah, knitting. I remembered knitting. Yarn, needles, okay. So I headed for the craft complex, Okodaya, a multi-story craft plaza in Shinzuku. At that point, my head unexpectedly exploded. So many choices. Fiber, needles, kits, and other stuff. Ah, too much. Hmm, kits. What about a kit? Oh yeah, a kit would have a pattern and needles and the right amount of yarn. I found a kit, a rather pricey kit. Well, all the kits were pricey. In fact, everything in Japan is pricey. I found one that featured a fetching fluorescent green, blunt, large, US 9, plastic needle, and its icy clear, equally blunt mate. I could just see myself, stitching away with the artfully mismatched needles in pubs, cafes, galleries. Hardly glancing at the wool, a sort of camel-colored mini-roving wrapped in red, blue, and yellow cotton thread, I was dazzled by those dead, cool needles. I got everything home and, eager to start stitching, cast on. Yeah, I could manage the popular but wonky backwards loop cast on. To stitch something, maybe a scarf, who cared? I slowly, laboriously manhandled each loop until it broached the needle. Blunt as pipes, these needles looked deceptively jaunty, but made for some difficult slow knitting. But what did I know? Wasn't this how it was supposed to be? I was just a beginner. I would learn. Who cared that it took forever to poke through one blessed row? Who cared that the strange hybrid yarn was scratchy and weird looking? Fleshy beige, blood red, viscera blue, bile yellow? I was knitting! A determined long two weeks later, I was still methodically, stubbornly, desperately, stabbing at my pile of sweat-stained stitches. They were taking shape. I was making something and was getting very attached to whatever it would, uh, I hoped, would become. I carried my therapy project with me everywhere. So on that day, as I ran for the infamously crowded Tokyo rush hour train, my knitting was there, perched at the top of my book tote. The train would be beyond super jam-packed, as usual when I left my home a bit late, but I would at least be able to wedge my hand into the bag and pet the fiber. Not a bad compromise. Actually, I knit mentally. You know, virtual knitting. In lots of cases where I just can't or shouldn't knit. Hey, admit it. You probably do too. I was late and racing down the platform escalator. Train very crowded and about to leave. Train station staff people pushers, standing poised. Po-faced and matter-of-fact. To press stragglers into the packed train and fold in purses and ties, arms and jackets, bottoms and bags, 
as the doors closed. I leapt for the opening and just inserted myself inside as the doors closed on my tote. Disaster! Horror! Bag upended, knitting and needles, falling in slow motion twixt platform and train to the tracks between the wheels below. Hognosed against the glass, I painfully pivoted my glance downward. My knitting, moments away from becoming one with the track, already looked like roadkill. Exactly like roadkill. In fact, it kind of always had. My knitting, my therapy. As the train began to slide forward, I mourned and had to let it go. I was untrained, but I would train. I vowed to learn to develop skill and better taste and better tools and to leave the house early. And another day, I would carry my knitting, yarn with a better pedigree, and destiny, on this very train again. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. A link to Hamimono's Ravelry page, as well as his blog, which is hamimono.wordpress.com, will be included in the show notes for this episode. So, do any of you have an interesting knitting story you would like to have included in the podcast? If so, please contact me. I am always looking for more stories for future episodes. Now for some quick local announcements. In episode 4, I interviewed Hannah Fettig, the author of the book Closely Knit and said that we were in the process of organizing an event to be held at the Scarlet Skein. So now I'd like to tell you a little bit about that event. Starting October 17th, there will be a trunk show at the shop displaying many of the items shown in the book. But on Saturday, November 1st, between 1 and 4, Hannah Fettig, who is traveling all the way from Maine, will be joining us in the shop. She will be there to visit and sign books, and we will all be knitting along with her heart pin pattern, which you can find for free off of her blog. We hope that everyone in the local area will join us. There will be knitting and food and lots of fun. And I'll be there, probably freaking Hannah out, since I will be wearing two of her designs, my new cap sleeve top and scarf, which are both in her new book. So don't forget to save the date. That's Saturday, November 1st, between 1 and 4. If you have any questions about the event and would like to find out where the shop is located, please contact me. You can email me at nevernotknitting at gmail.com. The show notes for this podcast, as well as pictures of what I've recently completed, are all on my blog at nevernotknitting.com. I'm also over on Ravelry as Never Not Knitting. Well, that's it for episode 6. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll join me next time. She won't even do the dishes. The house plants, they're all dead. Yeah, her needles are a-clicking. From morning until she goes to bed. She won't take the time to brush her teeth. Let's not even talk about her hair. If it isn't about knitting, she just 
doesn't really care. She's never not knitting, and it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. Pop ramen again. She just won't stop the stitching, and the neighbors say it really is quite sad. Nobody has clean laundry No pants, no shirts, no underwear But they have closets full of sweaters And more socks than they could ever wear There's yard in the fridge In the cupboards, the bathtub and pantry even in the washer and dryer That's why She can't do any laundry I need some clothes She's never not knitting And it's making Her husband mad Her husband mad I'm filing for divorce She just won't stop her stitching And the neighbors Say it's really getting bad She's taking pictures of socks again Oh, poor girl. The house is burning up in flames. Call 911. Her husband says, Get up, let's go. But she can't set down her project. She says, Just let me finish up this row. She's never not knitting. And it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. She just won't stop her stitching. And, well, she's losing all she had.